Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to The Long Game with LZ and Leach from The Recount, where every week we talk about the biggest stories in sports and how they impact culture, politics, and business. I am the forever Rams fan who is playing on Christmas Day, LZ Granderson. He's Will Leach. I don't know when the Cardinals are playing. All I know is I opened my presents on Christmas morning, not Christmas Eve. What kind of monsters are we? Uh, hi, LZ. Before we get going, we have some news. It's sad news. Dum, dum, dum. We only have three episodes left. That's right. I feel like I just got started, LZ. It's obviously not the last time you and I are going to be working together, but certainly we only have three episodes left of this particular show. It's disappointing, yes, but you and I will continue to work together. Hopefully the team and I Mm -hmm. and you can all still work together. So if you see a podcast called The Game is Long with Mm -hmm. Leach and LZ, that's what happened. I am not signing on for (laughs) anything that has my name first. I will let you know right now. There is absolutely no way I agree to that. Okay, wait, wait, so we got a new show. We're going to empty the clip, as they say. That's a weapon metaphor. Sounds violent. Yeah, I know. I don't know if I like, I'm not going to empty the clip. I'm going to uh, use all of the rocks in my metaphorical slingshot, as no one has said but me. I was going to eat all of the orange slices that I peeled. That's much, much better. <laughs> we have a very full slate, as we always do. First, we will continue diving into the second round of the highly competitive NBA playoffs. Right now, three of the four series are deadlocked at two games apiece, and only one team, Golden State, is up. They lead Memphis three games to one. And LZ, it's time for us to figure out some winners and figure out what in the heck is going on with these crazy playoffs. I think winners are NBA fans because even though the Golden State Warriors series looks like it's going to be ending soon, considering the team is up three to one, it has been such a dramatic and entertaining series. Who doesn't want to see more of these games? That series has been so awesome. It's the only one that's not 2-2. That is kind of a bummer. There's no question (laughs) about it. It's crazy. Then, in the wake of the stunning leak of Supreme Court Justice Alito's draft opinion that signals the court would likely repeal Roe versus Wade, we'll take a look at the response of athletes and leagues to this earth-shattering news. And, Will, I'm sad to say, this could be a very short segment. Yeah, I couldn't help but notice that Sage Rosenfeld had a very, very compelling Twitter thread. So Sage Rosenfeld is is standing up for women's rights. Former Houston Texan QB Sage Rosenfeld, if I'm correct. Ten years ago, and as I discovered, I wrote about this today, you can hire him for $75 on Cameo right now. And so I think that's going to move the needle, I'm sure. Who doesn't like a little Sage in their dressing? And later, based on our vast reporting experience, LZ and I are going to each share with you our list of the worst people in sports. There's a lot of them. Imagine that. 
bad guys in sports. No, no, no. <laughs> bad people. Bad, sorry. Yeah, bad bad people. Yes. But uh, let's face it, mostly bad guys. Mostly bad guys, yeah. Talking about emptying the clip in some of our final segments. <laughs> We're going to blast some folk just to say goodbye. Our careers in this industry will be over after we throw some bombs. We're going to hold nothing back. Then we'll wrap up the show with This Week in Sports History and go back 16 years to remember the tragic saga of Barbaro, the beloved horse who won the Kentucky Derby but then suffered catastrophic injuries at the Preakness Stakes. This led to a nationwide vigil as millions followed the up and ultimately down news of Barbaro's ill-fated recovery. I have uh, many thoughts on this and I will confess some of them are not as morose as I think we're supposed to be when we talk about dead horses. Don't make any glue jokes, please. I won't make any glue jokes, but uh, I will talk about the Guns N' Roses song. Sometimes I feel like I'm beating a dead horse. Wow. But before we get into all of that, LZ, what is your sports mood today? You know, I am in a relatively good mood, believe it or not. I don't believe it. You should. The NBA playoffs, minus LeBron James, minus Kevin Durant, and Kyrie, for the most part, minus James Harden. <laughs> He's there. <laughs> Even though right, he's, he's on there. a roster, he's there. It's been so amazing. These are incredible series. There are a lot of great games. There are fantastic quarters. That fourth quarter with Bucks versus the Celtics was everything. Absolutely everything. I am loving the NBA postseason without the stars who have carried the NBA postseason for much of the past 10 to 15 years. And I think, once again, I'm reminded why sports like golf and tennis and a few others continue to struggle. And it's because they haven't figured out how to identify and uplift the next thing. They get stuck on whatever the athlete or a couple of athletes are, in tennis's case, especially for men's, big three or big four, depending upon how you want to characterize Andy Murray. Meanwhile, the NBA just keeps chugging along. John Morant is a bona fide star, right? Bona fide star. But he's already been in the league like what? Three seasons? It's been amazing. We've had an international player win the MVP award for four consecutive seasons. We're over America. We're now looking elsewhere to continue to grow the sport and to continue to let it flourish. Obviously, football is like that through attrition as well. But it just reminds you of what happens when a league is able to be self-sustaining. And when you compare it to some of the other sports, Tiger Woods is still the driver in golf. And it's been like 20 years and he hasn't really mattered in 10 of them. Like it's been a crazy, crazy, crazy time watching the NBA. So I know we're going to talk more in depth about it. But my sports mood as an old school ball head is the NBA and the sport of basketball. It's just fine. No one's going to have to wonder what's going to happen when LeBron finally says goodbye. And you can tell about the electricity and excitement of this era by its avatar, two-time MVP, Nikola Jokic, The uh, perfect guy to Ugh. sum up this era of throwing I mean, basketball with huge personality. If there's ever a <laughs> moment... That makes analytics look bad. I think you're right. I mean, I, if only we, we needed 15 more shows to fit this in. But like the fact that he won, I understand he's a great player. No one's denying that. But like if MVP is simply just going to be a list, like a statistical breakdown, baseball does not pick the person that had the highest war as the MVP every year because it's about <laughs> more than that. Right. It is about more than that. Right. And it's about overall impact. It's about star power. It is. I'm sorry, it is. I remember when Steve Nash won those two MVPs. I remember thinking, okay, Steve Nash is awesome. I don't 
actually think he's the best player in the NBA for these last two years. However, he was definitely representative of something that was going on in the NBA and leading to yeah. some sort of larger thing. I honestly believe as great as he was the first year, the second year that he won, he yeah. truly deserved it because that was the year Amari Stoudemire yeah. went out oh, yeah, yeah. and they had other injuries. And I think he had to make Boris Diaw and Tim <laughs> Thomas superstars in order to get back to the Western Conference Finals. And he great. did it. Yeah. He lifted them up and he freaking did it. And that's when I was like, okay, the first year, maybe Shaq should have won. But that second year, yeah, Steve Nash was definitely MVP. And when I think about Joel Embiid, who clearly was robbed, there aren't a lot of players, superstar players, including Mr. MVP this year, who could keep the locker room together, Will, when all this stuff with Ben Simmons is going on. You can't measure that. And it's disappointing that they didn't value it because they couldn't measure it. Yeah, it just feels like we're going to look back in 20 years and be like, oh, wait, that's the guy that won the MVPs? And I don't mean that to disrespect him as a player. I don't. He's a great player. I love the crazy passes that only he seems to see. That is undeniably impressive. He's efficient. He is workmanlike. He can sometimes be dazzling. He is also still... I'm sorry, obviously not the best player in basketball. But you're not supposed to be the best player in basketball. It's about your value, right? Yeah, not just to your team, but to all of basketball. I think it's both of those things. When we compare your contributions to your team's success to everyone else's, you're supposed to be the most successful that season in terms of impact. It just feels like he hits a number and they're like, oh, wow, that number's amazing. Right. Which it is, which it is. That is an amazing number. I'm not saying it's not. But like, other people, other than Denver Nugget fans, I guess, going like, oh my God, we got to see you. <laughs> like, I just don't think there's anybody that's like that. If I watch a Denver Nuggets game, I'm like, wow, he's really good. I'm sorry, but the MVP is about more than that. <laughs> it just is, and I'm sorry, but it is. Okay, LZ, moving further along on this topic, let's go to our discussion of round two of the NBA playoffs. It's Curry with a downtown hit. He is the first player to hit 500 threes. In the NBA play. Here comes Harden, naping <laughs> right through the teeth of the defense. He checked oh, wow. Finney Smith. Fire! Oh. Finney Smith, fire! There goes Tatum on the drive. He kicks it to Horford. Three-pointer on its way. And down it goes again. Al Horford with a career playoff high. You just heard highlights from the second round of the NBA playoffs. And LZ, there is so much to talk about as you just discussed. We're recording this podcast on Tuesday afternoon. And as of this moment, each of the four series have been almost their own individual wars of attrition. The play has been extremely physical and teams are really starting to hate one another, which is of course exactly what we want to see in playoff basketball. In the Western Conference, as I mentioned earlier, Golden State leads Memphis, but it still feels like the Grizzlies aren't done yet. And Dallas has come back from the dead to tie top seed Phoenix. In the Eastern Conference, Philadelphia has been buoyed by the return of Joel Embiid to even things up with Miami, and Boston overwhelmed Milwaukee in the fourth quarter on Monday night. Way to go, Al Horford, by the way, to square their series as well. LZ, we have plenty of storylines to dissect, from Luka Doncic putting a scare into the Suns to Joel Embiid proving that he was the real MVP after all this year, to the tit-for-tat beating that the Warriors and Grizzlies are laying on each other to the fascinating machinations of Boston's stellar defense against the actual best player in the league, who is, of course, Giannis. LZ, of all these things, what is jumping out at you the most so far? Man, there is so much. I think I would like to start with the rejuvenation of Al Horford and just how important he has been for Boston. 
to me, he's showing you why he's a borderline Hall of Famer. And remember, in these conversations of Hall of Fame, it isn't just what you do in the NBA, but college also matters. And he's won back-to-back championships. That's an important piece in Florida. And he's been very important to most of the teams he's played with throughout the, his entire time in the NBA. He's made small star appearances. And you're just seeing him out there against Giannis, who he should not be able to match up against, right? Let alone dunk on. <laughs> Let alone bang on. <laughs> yeah. But that's also part of Giannis. Giannis is going to go for it no matter what. Yeah, right, right, right. And sometimes he gets banged on. Jason Tatum caught him. Yeah. But sometimes he catches them. And that's why you love a dude like Giannis because his ego isn't that caught up into it. He's trying to yeah. make the best play. Most guys don't get dunked on because they run the opposite direction. Exactly. He's trying to make a play. But Al Horford, man, has just been like so awesome to see and quietly has been the reason why Boston is even having a series right now. You know, I know that we're focusing on the young guys, but it, it really is that old head defensively, too who is moving his feet, communicating, sliding, being in the right places at the right time, watching him score and dunk and stuff. It's been great, man. So that's one. And then I would just say the other, the head coaching has been tremendous so far in the second round. Memphis, Golden State, Boston, as we talked about. Oh, he's great, by the he's way. He's great. Like, remember when people were like, oh my God, what's Boston going to do with that Brad Stevens? They're going to be fine. Like, they're he's really, really good. Fine. Yeah, yeah. Brad stabilized, and now they're being elevated. It's nice to see the understanding and experience and the wisdom that comes from being in this league really be showcased. So while I'm waxing poetic about John Morant and that Memphis team, because I do love their energy and the youthfulness, and I love Jason Tatum and everything, this postseason, to me, it's been about the old heads. It's been about Jason Kidd. It's been about, as I said, Al Horford. It's been about the head coaching and it's been about veteran players stepping up when they have to. So one of the things with me about this playoffs has been so fun, because there's no LeBron, because there's no Durant, mm -hmm. because that void is kind of there, it feels like they better get one now before either Jaw takes over or Giannis starts rattling off a bunch of a row or whatever. Or like Luka Doncic. Or Luka, right. <laughs> and the example I will use for this is probably Phoenix. No one really believed them. They blitzed through this regular season and they're like the overwhelming favorites to come in and they struggle a little bit with New Orleans, but then they get it straight and you're like, all right, yep. they got it. And then they plow through Dallas in the first two games. The whole idea was not that Phoenix was playing so well. It was like, wow, Luka's got to get his defense figured out. They're going after him every play. What's wrong with Luka? And then boom, Dallas comes and wins the next two games. Yep. And now all of a sudden it's like, what happened to this supposedly dominant Phoenix team that I've been waiting for? All of a sudden, they're losing two to a Dallas team that has Luka and has some help, I guess. But like on the <laughs> whole, is really Luka in a lot of ways. It's possible this is the year of Chris Paul. This is the year he finally gets one. I feel like that's one of the biggest storylines. Giannis winning another one and establishing him like, nope, there is no period of transition. It is my time. If the Bucs can win this year, Giannis can do that. But like, could it be the year of Luka? Could it be the year of Ja? Is this the last chance for Phoenix? I look at all the teams in these playoffs, and I think right now your favorite is probably Golden State. But it, you don't look at this like you have really any other time been like, okay, it's them or bust. That's what's kind of fun about that Milwaukee-Boston series and why it's even more fun that Boston came back. And you talk about Horford being an old dude, by the way. Horford was old when he was 24. Like, Horford <laughs> has always played like this. Like this He's is, always played. Yeah. He's always played smart. Yeah, exactly. Like a veteran, even right. when he was in college, which is one of the great things about Al Horford. That series feels a little bit like the Milwaukee-Brooklyn series last year, where it's like, okay, the winner of this 
point is, all this rambling is saying it could be any of these teams, and it's super, super fun. Because I don't uh, think it could be. Okay, who's it? Who could it not be? It can't be Dallas. They just don't have enough. I wouldn't have thought so, but Phoenix is supposedly the best team in this, and they actually beat them twice. Like, but no one actually believes Phoenix is the best team. They just had the best record. <laughs> okay, so do you think Golden State is the clear if they beat Memphis is the clear favorite over who gets out of that? I think Golden State is the favorite to come out the West. I do believe that whoever comes out of the East probably could beat Phoenix as well. <laughs> okay, so you so you're I mean, really it, it's just, like I get the regular season success. But when I look at that Phoenix Suns team, I just see the other Phoenix Suns teams. Right, the, right. the ones that can do really well in the regular season because of the unpredictable nature and the fact they're a well-oiled machine. They have a system that just works. But then they get into the grind of the postseason and the elements of the system gets highlighted and picked on. And I think that that's just what you see when a team has a glaring deficiency. And in Phoenix's case, that deficiency is size. Small ball works fantastic when the threes are going down and the other team gets sucked into a three-point shooting contest and forget they're bigger than you. But as soon as they remember they're bigger than you, you're in trouble. Yeah, That was true from the Suns with Steve Nash, and it's true with this team. I would argue that part of the reason why they're finding themselves neck and neck is not just because Luka is scoring, it's because he's also playmaking for his big people and allowing them to take advantage of the size advantage. I would like to say another highlight of this postseason was after Golden State's win that put them up 3-1. And of course, the weirdness of Mike Brown having just been hired by the Kings, but then having to coach that game because Steve Kerr's in the right. protocols. And the first half, they had one three-pointer. They were just terrible. And Curry had this great line. They asked him about the weirdness of having Brown coach the game. He's like, yeah, the way we were shooting, it was as if the whole team had been traded to the Kings. I was like, wow. Oh, man. As if the Sacramento fans have not suffered enough. But I think that speaks to that idea. Obviously, Ja wasn't there. But, I mean, Memphis's record, as we've discussed all year, has been terrific without Ja. Golden State played terrible that game, and they still won. That speaks to what Golden State can do and why I ultimately think they're the favorites. I still feel like it's Golden State-Milwaukee. Milwaukee's really going to regret not winning that game, though. Getting up 3-1 would have been a big deal. That feels like, of all these middle series, the most compelling one moving forward. For sure. But I think not having Chris there shows you just how dominant Giannis can be. There was no team hotter in the NBA than Boston heading into the postseason. And to lose an all-star and your best shooter in a league in love with three-pointers, and you still look as if you're in control of the series— that's not a bad place to be. Yeah. Because I promise you, as much as I love Al Horford, that was a career night for him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Giannis is just getting warmed up, right? Yeah. And Giannis is just getting warmed up. Exactly. Yeah. And it's funny because Boston now has home court back in that series, but I, I still think Milwaukee's going to win. And we'll, we'll see if it gets there. We have enough shows left to yes. where we will be able to find out what's going on with that. But a Golden State Milwaukee series would be riveting in every possible way. That would be amazing. And one other thing I would like to point out, and if anyone from the Lakers organization is listening, (laughs) I hope you're paying attention. Mm -hmm. Duncan Robinson signed a $90 million contract with the Miami Heat, but he can't fucking shoot right now. Yeah, he's vanished. And you know what they did? They sat his ass down. (laughs) They said, yo, dog, you ain't it right now. They didn't try to shoehorn him into the rotation (laughs) because he makes so much money. They didn't care about his ego. 
They didn't try to justify the benching with fans or say, we're going to play whoever our best players are at the moment. Like, none of that. It's like, sit your ass down. You ain't costing us this game. <laughs> we'll deal with you later. <laughs> I don't know who you're referring to with the Lakers and what your strategy on this is. So I just hope two things. Hmm. One, that they hire a head coach who's able to make that kind of decision. And then two, I hope they have a front office that will support a coach who makes that kind of decision. Trust the coach who's with those players every single day on the court, off the court, to make the best decisions for that team and support that coach. Not whatever the fuck was happening with Vogel and Westbrook and that entire kerfuffle. I don't know what that was, but it certainly didn't help. I love the fact that Pat Riley, once again, is supporting his guy. His guy says, that dude can't shoot right now. And Pat goes, I know I paid him $90 million, but if you say he ain't it right now, he ain't it right now. And everyone understands. That, to me, is a beautiful thing. So you want the Lakers to be a different organization than they currently are. That's <laughs> what you want. That sounds, that sounds wonderful. That sounds great. I hope it that, that When was the last great. time they had a head coach that they really supported? I mean... No, I guess it was Phil, it was too. Probably, it was Phil. probably early yeah, Phil. Early Phil. Yeah, early Phil. Early Phil. Yeah, early Phil. Crazy. 20 years ago? Sweet oh. Jesus. All right, well, let's go into our next topic. The response of the sports world to the Supreme Court's apparent decision to reverse Roe versus Dwayne Wade. Probably not Dwayne Wade. Did you see that someone got very confused that Dwayne Wade has, I believe, has a trans child? And someone uh, said, well, you know, you think with that guy within the middle of the big case that he's in would stay out of that. And it's like, no, that's a different <laughs> Wade. Our that actually happened. It's so fucked. <laughs> I think that the WNBA, they were the leaders we're going to see it because their season starts, I think it's in two days, and we've got Roe v. Wade going on right now. They're going to have something to say on it, and everybody's going to going to back them. They've been very eager about being outspoken about everything, and, and they, they just do what they feel is right. I think everybody kind of follows somebody's lead, and somebody just has to take the lead. That was Jack Flaherty, star pitcher of the St. Louis Cardinals, Will's St. Louis Cardinals, commenting on this show last week about the shocking revelation that the Supreme Court might well be repealing Roe versus Wade this summer, which could ultimately lead to a nationwide ban on not only abortion, but also quite possibly other rights of privacy we currently take for granted as well. Jack was quick to say that he thought the WNBA, which began its season over the weekend, would be the first to respond to the leak of Justice Alito's draft opinion, and that this might spur other leading figures in sports to join the fray. True to form, the WNBA did release a statement after our interview with Jack, saying that it, quote, believes all women have the right to autonomy over their bodies and fair and equal access to health care. This is why civic engagement and voting rights remain a focus as we tip off the WNBA season. End quote. In addition, the WNBA's Atlanta Dream also came out in support of Roe, as did a number of players and coaches, including Tiana Hawkins, Natasha Cloud, Nafisa Collier, and Brianna Turner. Beyond that, we've heard protests from American bobsledder Ilana Myers-Taylor, Olympic swimmer Erica Sullivan, U.S. women's soccer captain Becky Sarabron, and tennis greats Billie Jean King and Martina Navratilova. As far as men go, Washington national pitcher Sean Doolittle joined a demonstration outside the Supreme Court New England Patriots running back Damian Harris tweeted, quote, this is wrong, end quote. And Tampa Bay minor league pitcher Simon Rosenblum Larson said, quote, it's impossible to stand by and watch as women's rights to choose gets ripped away, end quote. Otherwise, Will, there's been nothing but silence. 
hey, uh, remember when sports were political? That was like a thing, like not long ago, right? That everyone was totally getting active and doing things. No offense, by the way, to Tampa Bay minor league pitcher Simon Rosenblum Larson, or the aforementioned Sage Rosenfels. But fair to say, men ain't talking. Men, no one's saying anything about this. I have a lot of reasons as to why this may be happening. One is just a basic thing that like people in sports are corporations. And I think it was reported last week that the public relations giant Zeno, which has like Coca-Cola, Netflix, Starbucks, big, big place. They've advised corporate clients to stay away from Roe v. Wade. They don't see a lot of positivity in getting part of this in the way that we saw corporations getting involved in the wake of George Floyd's murder. You're not seeing that. I think you're also seeing sports leagues being very hesitant of doing that because, frankly, almost every time they've gotten involved in politics over the last two years, it has not turned out well for them. Major League Baseball, listen, they did the right thing. I don't think they did it for the right reasons, but they did the right thing for moving the All-Star game out of Smyrna. What did they get for it? They got yelled at by Ted Cruz. Getting yelled at by Ted Cruz sounds like an honor to me. Please yell at me, you weirdo. But otherwise, A, didn't change anything. B, they're going to end up having an all-star game in the next 10 years anyway, even though the bill that they were protesting is now law. And it really just caused a big headache for them that they didn't want. Part of it is what Jack Flaherty was talking about. They're waiting for someone to take the lead because they're often busy and exhausted with a lot of other things, which I think speaks to a frustration that all of this effort was put in and for so many other things and... I don't know, does the world feel ostensibly better to you right now? In a lot of ways, Trump is gone, and that's great. But I think there's exhaustion and frustration. But you know what? Let's not maybe overcomplicate this. Most sports are run by men. <laughs> and like, there's no reason to maybe put too much thought into this. We had Jack Flaherty last week. The fact that he would be looking for the WNBA to take the lead on this speaks to Jack Flaherty being a conscious person of the world. I would, however, be very careful if I were Jack Flaherty of talking about that with anyone else that works in Major League Baseball because they probably do not feel that that way. This is a sport that is disproportionately Southern white Christian men. There was a recent study that estimated that at least half of the quarterbacks in the NFL were evangelical Christians. There are leagues that are run by the sort of people that, frankly, have probably been behind the idea of overcoming Roe v. Wade. And even if they're not those evangelical Christians, a lot of these men, very incorrectly, I would might add, <laughs> feel like this doesn't affect them or it's not something they want to get involved in. They find it more polarizing than being vaguely for equal rights, right? Like to say I'm for equal rights is different than saying, oh, no, women's got a right to choose. That's controversial to a lot of these people. And also, frankly, a lot of people don't believe it. So when you combine the demographics of the sport and the, I think, exhaustion and frustration with getting politically involved in the past and having it feel like they didn't make as much progress as they would have liked, it feels sad to say something that the world of sports is just running away from. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with okay. sports not getting involved in this conversation. And here's why. They're not equipped to handle this conversation. And they've demonstrated a level of ignorance when it comes to the issues of domestic violence and sexual assault the idea that the leagues that can't get that shit right whether it's <laughs> video or not is now supposed to get conversations about reproductive health correct they're out of their depth yeah. and so while there is a level of disappointment that there isn't a larger or more pronounced voice from the sports world in terms of challenging this leak the reality is will is that they're just not equipped to and I'm okay with them not wading into this because I think they'll fuck it up even more, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. Well, I don't know how much worse they can make it. <laughs> well, I'm... they could. Well, I'll tell you how much worse they can make it. 
say they come out with a very strong statement, right? That opens the door to criticism. And criticism happens outside of the sport, but as you pointed out, also inside of the sport because of the role that faith, religion, specifically evangelical Christianity has in a lot of sports, specifically baseball as well as football. And I would also add basketball. Yeah, in yeah, it's in basketball. Well. There's no question. Yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. And so do you really want a league in which part of your league, and not a small part, by the way, a very large part of your league, actually is happy to see this league? Do you want to be in a situation where the league puts out a very strongly worded statement and then over time, male athletes are saying things that forces the league to have to respond to what those male athletes say? Oh, that's bad for the league. I just don't think they can make it worse in general. (laughs) They certainly can make it worse for the league. Well, they can make it worse in general because of how they may respond to what the men say. And then that continues to fuel a conversation of church versus state that continues to fuel a conversation about just religion in general, and it begins to instigate another civil war within these leagues that is way more pronounced than what we saw with the NFL with Colin Kaepernick, because people, generally speaking, take their faith very, very seriously. And so is the league prepared to handle nuanced conversations where players may be willing to say things that are contrary to statements that the league issue when it comes to matters that dips not only into reproductive health, but also religion and faith? I would say no, they're not equipped. They're just not equipped. First of all, I don't know why you don't think Roger Goodell can't handle this. Seriously, off. there was literally a video of Ray Rice punching his dead fiance, <laughs> and they fumbled. But it's not just not leaks that aren't saying things. It's players, right? And to me, this is where this feels like it's more than just not wanting to get involved with Roe v. Wade. Something changed with the movements of 2020 to where now, I think Chris Weber told me this, he said, athletes now grow up with the understanding. Michael Jordan didn't grow up with the understanding that you're supposed to talk about politics. Athletes, uh, No, that's not true. He did grow up with that understanding. He chose to he ignore chose it. Not. Right. <laughs> that, that's exactly right, because he certainly had plenty of athletes to point to. And exactly. Not to. Ali wasn't born after him. Yeah, it's true. Fair <laughs> enough. But Weber's point is, it would have been, at least in Jordan's eyes, a risk for him to do right. so. And whereas someone like LeBron, who is really, other than, again, that Ted Cruz yells at him occasionally, it's not like all of a sudden LeBron James is broke now or doesn't have any money because he's spoken out politically. Permission structure is the wrong way to put it. But there's a sign that you can keep everything that you have and keep the power and still be able to speak to important political issues. And that was what Weber told me. That's what changed in 2020. In the last year and a half, it seems undeniable to me that not just leagues and not just executives, but players, they don't want to deal with this right now. And it doesn't mean that they don't still care about those issues, but there's a little bit of a, you know what I gave at the office in 2020? Like I did, I, I'll be back. Mm-hmm. If Trump runs again, I will do everything I can to get that motherfucker out of here. Otherwise, I'm really busy. And on a certain level, I totally understand that. But it also goes against the idea that I think a lot of us were hoping that there was some clear break and now, now it would become normal for politics and sports to be intertwined. But again, Roe v. Wade has its own specific contours that make this different. But it does feel that water has gotten closer back to its natural level now in a way that is understandable. But also, I will confess, a little bit disappointed. I mean, yeah, it's definitely disappointing. But, you know, the sports world is a microcosm of the larger world. And I didn't read a great deal of pieces by male thought leaders when the leak came out. I didn't see a lot of panel discussions on Sunday shows in which men took a back seat and allowed women to dominate the space. I saw Sunday shows with men 
dominating a conversation that impacts women more directly than them. And I didn't see a lot of shows that say, hey, let's do something different here. No, it was... How does this affect the midterms? Yeah, right. (laughs) Exactly. So, I mean, we fumble on this in a lot of different ways. And I don't want to be a hypocrite about it. I certainly remember my days on CNN for sure being like one of three men discussing women's reproductive health. That's just kind of like the nature of the beast. It's like a media that's dominated by men is probably going to continue to be dominated by men unless someone in leadership decides to shake it up. And I didn't see a whole lot of leaders deciding to shake it up on Sunday. I have to say, just and this isn't even really sports-related. Again, I'm a straight white dad in his 40s. I don't want to be the loudest voice on this, but it feels like as massive a story as this country has had. Like, it, it's unbelievably huge. It's going to change American life in so many ways that I think a lot of people don't appreciate or understand yet. But it feels like it's already like, well, yeah, what are you going to do? That's the Supreme Court. And oh, right. uh, don't upset Susan Collins. Don't write in chalk on the sidewalk in front of her house. I suppose I shouldn't be surprised, but it's a little shocking, to be honest, to see how quickly the conversation has gone away from the big, huge fucking thing that we've all been worried about for 50 years, which has been Roe v. Wade being overturned. It's pretty remarkable how quickly that's been moved on from into all these dumbass little side fights that don't really matter. Right. And sports sees all that. Certainly the leaders in these sports, as well as the PR firms they rely upon for advice, see all that. And I think it's a smart decision not to get involved. And I know that that sounds counter from what a lot of people may think or expect from me. But sometimes silence is best from certain fashions of society. And I think when it comes to women, the NFL, (laughs) NBA. Not experts. eh, not, Not the best of experts. So take the advice of your leaders. And if they say there's no win for you there, then, you know, there's no win. I guess, but uh, I don't know. It's just sort of a shame that that, that's what we're at, where it's like, well, get get involved, get involved if it's it's beneficial for you. But otherwise, stay the fuck away, even if it's right, Right. (laughs) even if it's something you should do. There's something a little depressing about that. It's fucked up. I'm not trying to, you know, but what are you going to do if you're Roger Goodell and you put out a strong statement and someone like maybe a Josh Allen says, I disagree. I think that that is murder and blah, blah, blah. Kirk Cousins, definitely. Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins, yeah. What are you going to do? You're going to say, well, that's their opinion? Well, yeah, that was the case before the press release. So you can't punish them. So where's the win? Uh, if we only had more than three shows left, we could have solved this. Damn it. Uh, well, we had 50 years. We blew it. I know. Not me and I. We, we didn't have yeah. 50 years. All right. When we return, we're going to empty the reporter's notebook and just start talking about people who suck. Coming back, we're going to talk about the worst people in the world of sports. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Okay, LZ, we're back. I think that's a part of leadership is to have some of the guys that have gone before that uh, have been disappointed uh, to share it with everybody involved. For me, it's a reminder. I, too, have been here 23 years. And uh, it is a reminder. I've been here when it was glory hole days, and I've been here when it wasn't. And so having said that, uh, uh, I want me some glory hole. So I have that perspective. That was the sound and probably the smell of sulfur of Jerry Jones, the Jesus. owner of the Dallas Cowboys, my personal candidate for one of the worst people in sports. Now, LZ, you and I have been covering athletes for a long time. And between the two of us, we've seen a lot, both good and bad, in our many years of writing and reporting. And since our show is, alas, as I may have mentioned, nearing the end of its run, I think we should leave nothing on the table on our way out. So let's throw some shade, as people say, where it's absolutely necessary. You begin. Give me your worst person in sports in your esteemed, well-respected, well-researched, well-earned, and totally correct opinion. Give me your worst one. The worst person in sports right now is Fox's Skip Bayless. Love it. And this is why. Love it. And for those who don't know, Skip has really sort of made a name for himself by just trolling LeBron James. Like, no matter what LeBron does, win or lose, he's going to have something negative to say about it. And that is something that really delights people who aren't fans of LeBron James. And it also ignites things in people who are fans of LeBron James. And so as a result, you know, he can say something totally nonsensical, like LeBron's not a great scorer, even though he's second all time in scoring and he just averaged 30 points a game on 50% shooting as like a 35, 36 year old. <laughs> the people that hate LeBron says, yeah, he sucks. And then LeBron's fans defend him and Skip Bayless gets to be popularized by saying stupid shit. That's what irritates me. Yeah, it irritates me too. I've worked with Skip when he was at ESPN. I don't have anything personal against Skip Bayless at all. But it saddens me that someone who was such a well-established sports columnist who built a career of credibility based upon reporting, based upon thoughtfulness, is now so popular in the same field for doing basically the exact opposite. And I'm not suggesting that his arguments against LeBron James don't come with a measure of thought. They do, but it's not a genuine thought, and that's what's disappointing. He's a smart guy. He's a smart man, and he can figure out how to argue both sides forever and a day. But sometimes he's arguing for stupid shit, and he's being rewarded for arguing for stupid shit. And there is now a business model that helps people cash in for arguing on stupid shit. And it just kind of tapped into the larger political platforms, right, where there's a network for stupidity, and it's the highest grossing and most watched. Those of us in the industry know that it's not news. It's actually just entertainment and commentary, but they call themselves news. And as a result, there's a lot of harm that can come from that. The same is very true to what the business model that Skip has benefited from has done to sports journalism, where people are rewarded for being contrarians, whether it's genuinely thoughtful or not, whether it's sensical or not. 
And I don't know if LeBron James is the greatest player of all time. I really am bored by that overall conversation. But what I do know is this. He doesn't suck. He does not suck. <laughs> I know he's clutch. I know he's a champion. I know that getting to 10 consecutive finals in any sport at any point in your career is fucking remarkable. I know winning four championships as the best player on the court is fucking remarkable. And only people who are haters would boo and hiss at that. And that's okay because sports need haters. You know, I've never worn a pair of Jordans. I probably never will. Mm -hmm. Why? Because I'm holding on to my grudge from the days in which the bad boys and the bulls were fighting each other. But if you ask me about Michael Jordan, I would say, that motherfucker was cold, man. I'm not going to be stupid. Right. Right. right? I'll tell you I'm not wearing Jordans because of my fandom. But as a journalist and as a basketball player and as a person who loves sports in general, I'm not going to be stupid. And pretend as if Jordan wasn't that dude because he was. But if you do, a ton of people will all totally watch you and be like, oh my God, did you see what LZ said? Did you see what he said about Jordan? Oh man. And then I get one other hater going, he's right. Jordan never won a championship without Pippen. He ain't shit. And it's just like, whoa, what's happening here? But that's what Skip Bayless' success has ushered in. A business model in which arguing for nonsensical things can be popularized, monetized, and actually make you an established figure in sports journalism. And it's disappointing because it takes the journalism out of it. That's not what journalists do. Journalists aren't supposed to make shit up for the sake of selling newspapers or getting clicks. We're supposed to be telling you facts or giving you opinions based on facts. We aren't supposed to be just making bullshit up because we know that'll get people going and then we'll get clicks and get that bag. That's what entertainers do. That's what clowns do. But it's not supposed to be what journalists do. But we've undermined our own industry because of the economics of the industry. And as a result, I fear that we're never going to have a sports industry again in which people can have thoughtful, compelling debates using facts and sense. And we all can agree, all right, LeBron James is one of the greatest of all time. And I'm not even going to pretend as if he's not. But here's why Jordan is better. That I can handle. But saying, eh, he, the East was weak. And then, you know, he runs from team to team. And Ray Allen saved his legacy. And those kind of conversations, <laughs> that skipped Bayless's legacy. And that's awful. And that's why, to me, he's the worst person of earth. Not him personally, but the route he chose to benefit monetarily. That's why. Here's the metaphor I always use for this. I used to live on, I didn't like it, but I used to live on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. You were one of those. Did you used to play basketball at the Reebok Fitness Club? Uh, I did, actually, but I, no, I did not. <laughs> that was my but, shit. But more to the point, there was an Avis car rental place. It was one of those summer weekends in New York where I go into the place and the line is wrapped around like 50 times. It's clearly going to be like two hours. It's hot. They're in the city. It's miserable and so on. But there's this really long line. What are you going to do this line? There's this guy and he's wearing like a Hawaiian shirt and flip-flops. But he rushes to the front of the line. He's like, oh, my God, it's my grandfather. He's dying. And I have to get ahead of the line because I'm not going to be able to see him. Everybody in that line knows he's lying. 
they're like, sir, I'm sorry, there's a line. Yeah, but you don't understand. It's my grandfather. It's my grandfather. It's my grandfather. And eventually you're just like, ugh, fine, just fucking just go. Just just the here. Just take the keys and just get out of here. Once he had the keys, he was like, see ya, dipshits, and right. went across his way. And at a certain level, what that is about is shame. What we see from Bayless and now off-brand Bayless is like Colin Coward or Clay Travis. They're all just like, we'll just say whatever we can because it will get his attention. There's no shame. If you are just willing to do whatever you want and say whatever will get you attention, what you actually believe doesn't matter. People's response to what you believe doesn't matter. It's literally just get eyeballs on me at any cost so I can get what I want and have no shame, have no care what people think because you get yours. You got the bag. That's all you care right, about. You got the bag. That is what is wrong with all of media. <laughs> like that is really what's <laughs> wrong across the board. And I would argue sports has almost pioneered this. That's why it's yeah. not surprising to see someone like Clay Travis go straight into the bullshit of talking about college football all day, into the bullshit of talking about politics all day because they've become the same thing. If you can just say something that will get someone riled up, then you won. And that to me is a really, really sad thing about Bayless. And I agree. Part of it is that he used to not be like that though. For what it's worth, we're not talking about Gary Smith, right? Thompson or Ralph Wiley here. We're talking about a perfectly fine newspaper reporter who realized, Oh, if I just don't have any shame, I can get whatever the hell I want and more power to you. But I always remember I was hearing Spike Lee one time when I was talking to him about John Singleton that just made a very terrible Taylor Latner movie. And uh, I was interviewing Spike Lee, and I said, "I said, Wait, was that uh, the one where he was being chased? Yeah, like, yeah, and Sigourney Weaver's in it. Yeah, it's in Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah, it's really, really yeah. bad. And like, that wasn't and, John's fault, man. That no, wasn't no, John's it wasn't. Fault. It wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> but I was asking Spike Lee about it. Is it hard to see someone like John Singleton, who's a talented director and someone you've worked with for a long time? Is it hard to see him doing this Tyler Lautner movie? And would you ever get to that point? He's like, you know what? I, I hopefully people will see my movies. I don't know what's going to happen." It ain't ever going to get to that. I'm just telling you right now, it ain't ever going to get to that. And I have to say, that's kind of how I feel when it comes to stuff like that. I don't even want to get to Jerry Jones because this is like, it's just enough conversation to be entirely honest. But like (laughs) one of the things that I particularly loved about being able to do this show is I'm talking with someone who feels the same way about this shit. And it's sometimes hard to see people that I respect will be like, coward, yeah, he's an idiot. But like, he's good on TV. You have to respect that. I'm like, no, I don't have to respect that at all. Why do I have to respect someone that is has been able to artificially maneuver this medium in a way that benefits them and makes all the rest of us worse? And to me, the whole point of doing television or doing a podcast or doing anything is so it never has to come to that. <laughs> and so when I look at someone like Bayless or Coward or Travis or guys like that, I'd rather lose would be the best way to put it. Yeah. And in some ways, that's winning. And I say in some ways because there are benefits. And it's not just about the bad. I'm doing okay. You're doing okay. We're all right. I mean, when you're full of hyperbole, you have influence. So it isn't just simply about the bag. You also can influence conversations. Some of the takes that are inspired by some of the people you see on these shows, they take off in social media and they become segments for other podcasts and episodes on television and radio and et cetera. So, I mean, there is a certain amount of power that comes with being willing to do that. I just am not comfortable doing that. I personally want to feel good at the end of my day about the things that I've written and have said. And not feel good in the sense that I was always right, but in the sense that it always came from a place of wanting to be right 
or wanting to have integrity. I never wanted to say anything that I wasn't willing to say to someone's face. Like any joke that I make about an athlete, I work really hard to say to myself, can you say it to someone's face? And in fact, on my radio show, when I was with George Sedano from ESPN, I had said some stuff about Joel Embiid. And then we ended up in a space with Joel Embiid. And Sedano challenged me to say it to his face. So I did. I walked up to him and said what I wanted to say to his face. Not because what I had to say wasn't that harsh. I knew that it wasn't inaccurate. It wasn't based in hyperbole. It wasn't said to get a response out of people that I would never meet. It was said because that's how I generally felt in the fairness of thinking about a certain situation. And I honestly can't remember what it is that I was you know, talking about. Right. But I do remember him just being like, all right, cool. Because yeah. I said to him, I said, this is what I said about you. And I just want you to know, because you were here, this is what I said about you. So if it ever gets back to you, you know, who said it and why. And it was just like that, just real casual. And, you know, he was cool with it. Probably didn't agree with it. But I, I would like to think there was a certain amount of respect there because I gave him all the respect when I said it. And I didn't hide behind the safety of I'll never see them because I'm avoiding locker rooms because I still go in locker rooms all these years later. I still go to games. I still talk to coaches all these years later. I'm still doing the grunt work all these years later. So I also know that what I say also is being tested by my willingness to continue to put myself in those environments. And some of these people that we're talking about no longer do that. They're no longer going to locker rooms after championships are lost. They're no longer asking coaches after they get fired what happened. They're not doing that kind of work. So they're insulated from the responses so they can say whatever the hell they want, to your point, without shame, because the object of their conversation or criticism, they don't have to worry about running into them. And that's not how I roll. The political things that I write will, I'm still putting myself in environments where I may run into these politicians. I still go to RNCs just like I do DNCs. I'm still going to try and get quotes from conservatives just like I do from liberals. Whatever I write, I'm willing to stand on. And I don't know if our industry is being populated by voices who subscribe to the same things that we do. Being willing to stand on the things you talk about as opposed to cash in on the things you talk about. That said, Skip Bayless is pretty jacked. I ain't scared. I'm not scared either. Okay, so our worst person in sports thing is going gangbusters. Why didn't we try this weeks ago, <laughs> uh, LZ? We went so long on that. I didn't even get to rant about Jerry Jones yet. So let's move that to next week, and that will perhaps spur another conversation about how everything in America has gone to shit <laughs> because we're not in charge. We're just like the Marvel movies. We're just going to keep going and going and going. In the multiverse. Yes. Love that movie, by the way. In the multiverse, we run PTI. Well, Will, now that we've done shitting all over Skip Bayless's uh, approach to sports journalism, it's time to move on. (laughs) It's time to move on to this week in sports history, where we break down an event from the past through the lens of 2022. is intent on that lead. He sends him right from the beginning. And Sweet Northern Saint is going to run with him. Bernardini is away third on the outside. Diabolic goes fourth. Barbaro! Barbaro! I believe he's being pulled up! Barbaro's being pulled up! An astonishing development here! Barbaro's being pulled up by Edgar Prado. He is out of the race and out of the triple crown. He appears to have injured his right rear leg. His right hind leg appears to have been substantially injured. In the meantime, the Preakness field continues on without Barbaro. 
You just heard the moment in May 2006 when Kentucky Derby winner Barbaro suffered terrible injuries to his right hind leg shortly after the start to the second jewel of horse racing's Triple Crown, the Preakness Stakes. Undefeated Barbaro had captured the nation's attention after winning the Derby with the largest margin of victory in 60 years and was a heavy favorite to take the Preakness as well. The horrifying damage to the horse, including dislocated joints and over 20 broken bones, shocked the large TV audience and started an international recovery watch. Millions of people became obsessed with Barbaro's fate. Horses die if they can't stand properly, so Barbaro faced difficult odds. Over the next eight months, there were almost daily news reports about Barbaro's progress and tens of thousands of Get Well Soon cards were sent to the facility where Barbaro was being housed. It looked like the horse would return to health. But in January 2007, Barbaro began to experience irreversible complications, and by the end of the month, he was in so much pain, he had to be euthanized. Barbaro's death stunned millions and made national headlines for days. It also, unsurprisingly, created a backlash as others criticized the attention the horse was receiving, especially as the horrors of America's war in Iraq mounted. This wasn't the first time that Americans expressed enormous emotional support for a racehorse in troubled times. You may recall Seabiscuit during the Great Depression and Secretariat and Ruffian in the mid-1970s during Watergate and the end of the Vietnam War. Well, how do you think Barbaro's saga would play out if it happened today when everyone has multiple social media platforms? Okay, so I, I have a little confession to start here. So I was doing Deadspin when the Barbaro stuff happened. I was working with the late Rick Chandler, my associate editor. He died a couple of years ago and was kind of my assistant slash co-collaborator on a lot of our little stunts. And, <laughs> and Rick was in charge of Barbaro Watch, which was not so much about Barbaro because obviously I like horses. I'm not against horses. Horses are great. But because this happened right around the time that a lot of people were starting to get on the internet for the first time, <laughs> There was a message board set up to send messages to Barbara. <laughs> now, I hate to be like the cynic and weird guy on this, <laughs> but I don't understand why people just post messages on message boards anyway for people who can read and respond to them. We had a daily Barbaro segment today in Messages for Barbaro. Someone said that, like, there will be carrots saved for him in heaven. And, like, please hear my voice, Barbaro, and know that we're here for you when you pull out of this. And it, it speaks to my general thing with horse racing that I have to be honest about. I always feel like a little emotional distance from a sport where if you were to interview the victor, the response would be, Great is their food. I would like some food. Please give me some food. Uh, also, I would like to nap. And is there anyone I can have sex with right now? Now, to be fair, there's a lot of athletes that would be quite honest <laughs> if they were responding to that afterwards. Listen, there's a statue of Barbaro outside the Kentucky Derby right now. You mentioned in the intro about the idea that this when the Iraq War was going on. A lot of stuff was really bad at this time. And there is something, I think, to the idea of, oh, we will find something hopeful. The front page of Yahoo slash Today Show vacation of news, the upworthiness of news. Let's personify all of our problems on this horse, and if they make it, they'll make it through. And so if that happened today, certainly on my Twitter feed, there are a bunch of people like, why are people paying attention to a horse? This is so silly. There's a look at all the terrible stuff going on. But I think in the real world, people would give more of a shit about this horse <laughs> than they would care about Ukraine, that they would care about Roe v. Wade. 
while it might be covered differently, I do think that ultimately people get sad about sick animals. The same way that someone will watch a movie where dozens of people get shot in the face and nobody cares. But if a dog gets hit by a car and struggles briefly, it's the end of the world. I do feel like that a little bit uh, in the world of animals as well. You know, it's so funny that you bring up the animals in film because I was just thinking, I don't recall seeing like a dog get shot and die. Usually it's a gunfire off screen and there's like a whimper and it's just assumed. Yeah. But to your point, we can watch multiple people be gunned down, buildings blown up. We can watch humanity destroy itself. We can watch Spider-Man disappear from a snap for a movie (laughs) that's supposed to be for kids. Mm -hmm. But heaven forbid, Benji gets hit by a car and doesn't make it. Then all of a sudden, we've gone too far. (laughs) (laughs) The the thing that people react emotionally to in John Wick is not the 50 people he shoots in the head. No. (laughs) Trust. I was in for the dog, man. I was in for the dog. What's your name? Dog. I was in for it, man. (laughs) And when he went on the tirade because somebody killed the dog, I was like, hell yeah, because if you fuck with my Casper or my Rufus or my Archie, I'm going to try to hunt you down, too. <laughs> so <laughs> so, so we're, we've been conditioned yeah. to not value human life and to value animal life. And if an animal's in trouble, we've been conditioned to really invest ourselves emotionally in their protection because we see them as helpless. And for some reason, we think that the humans who are being murdered had choices and they made the wrong ones. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of how we rationalize it, at least when it comes to fictionalized stories. Right. Yeah. We just watched 50 people die on screen, but they probably did something like they worked for the wrong side or it's James Bond. James (laughs) Bond has to kill them. Right. But have you seen James Bond kill a dog? No, no, not yet. Right, right. That's a a weird (laughs) turn in the franchise. (laughs) Right, for some reason, we're drawing the line at the dog, you know? So we're talking about Barbaro, and it's the same thing, right? We ignore the fact that these horses are being shot with steroids and bread and (laughs) being forced to train into something that doesn't come natural to them. You don't see horses racing each other in the wild all the time. (laughs) You do not. I I always imagine when I drive by a barn, I'm just going to see them being like, the way that I see kids play baseball outside together. Right, exactly. But no, that's not what's happening at all. (laughs) Barbaro's looking over, what you say, bitch? Let's take it to the racetrack. You never see that, right? So we're forcing them into doing these things and we've rationalized that it's all beautiful and that somehow the horse emotionally wants to do this and we've sold ourselves these stories and so when they get hurt doing shit they didn't want to do and being pushed by people who want them to do them when we see them get hurt we go oh oh as opposed to we really need to revisit this entire industry that was started at a time in which however you want to describe it let's just say we're supposed to be better off today than we were back then yeah but we're still holding on to this stupid ass you know sport and pretending as if these horses aren't being shot up with drugs and being tormented to train for these events we're acting as if it's a happy story and the jockeys they're not eating and shit you know <laughs> yeah, so they stay yeah. light like it's yeah. all just bad man it's just all really bad but we've sold this story to ourselves and we want it to be like a happy ending and feel good about it that somehow it's a positive 
that the Kentucky Derby ended with a winner who won, what was it, 60 to 1 odds or something yeah, like that? 80 to 1, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, a yeah, positive just, because it made people money. So, hey, we right. love that and, horse now. Yeah, that horse did it. And it's like, the horse was just running. It didn't do it. Like, it's so ridiculous the way that we've humanized animals when that horse, to your point, probably just wanted to have a burger and have sex and like go lay down somewhere. Do you think like after the race, the horses are like, oh man, Thompson run 26, finished third? I would have thought he'd be better than that. <laughs> huh, I'll be darned. Like, they have no idea who won or what, what, like, what did any of these things? Not to be cruel here, but. Horses die all the time in horse racing. They're just right. not usually as fast as Barbaro. Now, right. apparently we're claiming the horse was sweeter because he was faster, I guess. I'm sorry that Barbaro died. Or worse yet, Will, we've taught ourselves to believe that Barbaro's outstanding because he trained harder trained than hard. Barbaro. Yeah, Barbaro, yeah, Barbaro, Barbaro, Barbaro had the eye. Last one the, in, last yeah. one out. Yeah, Barbaro had the eye of the tiger. Yeah, he he had grit. You know what? He's a gym rat. He's a gym rat's what he is. He's a gym rat. He's the son of a coach. <laughs> all these all of these euphemism and stuff so we can feel good about them running in circles for 60 seconds or whatever the fuck first one in last one out so many of those great cliches maybe barbaro's the worst person in sports maybe it's not skip after all by the way sorry you died barbaro i like your statue and that's our show for this week thanks everyone for listening to the long game with lz and Leach. make sure you subscribe rate and review wherever you get your podcasts not that it matters now Long game. <laughs> the long game is produced by Pierre Bienname, Megan Burney, Mark Levine, and Marshall Eisen. Music is like Laura tells, with some sound design by David Wilson. We'll be back with our countdown and our airing of grievances next Wednesday on this podcast and wherever else the world's talking. Or will we? We'll be back with two more. <laughs> I'm contractually obligated to do more. I don't know about you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details acast powers the world's best podcasts here's a show that we recommend this is roundabout season two and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way we're talking rest stops if we're stopping to get gas you will be timed. <laughs> you will be Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. Like you were real different. Bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> <laughs> 